Hello, and welcome to The Fish Nerds. It's a celebration of fish, fishing, and hopefully the history of fishing. That's always interesting and usually funny and mostly true. I'm Liz Kovart from Ben Franklin's World, a podcast about early American history, and here are your nerds. Welcome to The Fish Nerds. I'm Clay Groves, and I'm super happy to be with you today. I... This podcast, I'm kind of flying solo on, so it's just me and just me (laughs) hanging out all by myself. Uh, I first want to start off by saying this podcast is listener-supported by our fans. Thanks so much for all of your support. If you want to help the show, and we need your help, uh, head over to fishnerds.com, click on the Patreon link, and you can give some money in any amount. Uh, we, we're looking for people to give us like a per episode donation, like a dollar a show. It'll make a huge difference. So four bucks a month, and this show gets to keep on keeping on. Last week, we got a phone call from listener Barry Singer, who told us why he donates to our show through Patreon. Barry Singer is an artist. We've had him on several episodes. He does some great uh, fishy art, and, and we just love this guy. So check out uh, Google Barry Singer Art, and here he is. Hello, Barry. Hey, Clay. How are you? Great. Hey, thanks for taking time to uh, talk to me today. And I especially want to thank you for supporting the, the, the fish that over the last few years. Um, You've been with us a long time, not just on Patreon, but as a listener, and you send us beautiful art artwork. You do Barry Singer art, is that right? That's correct. Uh, usually referred to as uh, Fish Fanatic, uh, but uh, anybody can find me on the Internet if they just Google Barry Singer art. Uh, yeah, we, all, we, kinds, of all kinds of fish art, all kinds of fish art. Really great stuff. And, and we, of course, have always share your stuff all over our pages because we just love, love the work you do. Uh, my favorite is that, I don't know what it's called, but it's this one picture with a, reminds me of an old tiny picture with a sunfish head. So, well, maybe that was Magritte. Was that the parody on Magritte with the sunfish the on one. the guy's face? That's exactly yeah. the one, yeah. That is, that is now hanging uh, at a fish and chips uh, over there uh, in Europe uh, as a poster. No so way. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. That's awesome. That's amazing. Anyway, you do, you do great work. Um, and and we're kind of doing a, a thing here for Patreon. We're trying to increase our Patreon subscribers. Um, right as you know, Dave has left the show and has put me in kind of a position where I need to find a way to make the show keep going. And doing the books, and it costs us, um, costs us. And people like you, Barry, give us a little bit of money, and it adds up. Uh, can you tell us why you support the show? Well, um, it was a, it was quite a while ago. Uh, Dave reached out to me about about my fish art. And um, I took an interest right away, and so I decided I would I would listen to a couple episodes, and I just enjoyed it. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of humor, uh, and it's just down to earth stuff. I hate that sophisticated stuff where people are always preaching about, you know, their locators and their motors and and what lures to use and everything. And I just like, you know, down to earth, uh, go out and throw in your line and. And uh, enjoy fishing, and uh, that's what you guys—you guys were uh, perfect for that. Perfect for that. So I, I got a good kick out of your uh, your, your shows, and uh, it really uh, it hit home for me. Well, you know, we really appreciate it, and um, we're hoping that people hearing this will 
be motivated to give us a little bit of money. Uh, people can give us like 50 cents a show. It doesn't cost much, and it makes a huge right. in the end of the month. And uh, and we really appreciate you, Barry, and we're so glad to have you around. Where can people find your art again? Well, uh, all you'd have to do is Google Barry Singer Art, and uh, if you hit the image button, uh, you'll get hundreds and hundreds of fishy-type pictures, um, lake and shore-type decor. And uh, I've been lucky enough that that's... Uh, that's what people are interested in. Uh, when I decided to specialize in that uh, type of art, all of a sudden, um, my work started to sell. <laughs> people, fish nerds love each other. <laughs> we said, you know, these fish, fish nerds love fishy art, and there's plenty of them around. So that's fantastic. Jerry, thank you for uh, taking time with me today. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Also, we have a couple of new Patreon supporters. Very, very special thank you to our newest donors, Michael Crooker and Reed Sutter. Both those guys are throwing some money in the pot. And this show only happens because you guys give. So please, throw some money in the hat. Okay, so today we're going to spend some quality time with our friendly neighborhood cooking correspondent, Hugo Medeiros. Hugo's been part of the show for a long time, I think from the beginning. Lots of people compare Hugo to a seagull because he'll eat anything. <laughs> Hugo draws from his Portuguese roots and creative palate to make any fishy dish look and taste delicious. Now, I love cooking fish, but I'm not that great at it. So this month, I gave Hugo a cod cooking challenge. I cooked cod and made a recording of the action and sent it to Hugo. Uh, it was kind of like an audio experiment. In this piece, you'll hear my wife, Kristen, in the background messing around on the piano, working on a new theme song, and then the action begins. Hey, ClayGrovesFishNerds.com. We're in my kitchen, and we're cooking cod. What you need to cook cod, there's all kinds of ways to do it. The way I'm doing this tonight is a very simple breaded recipe. I preheat the oven to 400 degrees. You can hear some potatoes cooking in the background there. Uh, and while that's preheating, I'm going to cut the cod with a really big pound and a half cod fillet here. I'm going to cut that into a reasonable size. Okay, so I have a bowl of flour that I've seasoned with a little bit of garlic and salt and pepper, and some adobo, because I seem to put this on everything. I have a bowl of egg wash, and a bowl of seasoned Italian-style breadcrumbs, because I'm seasonably lazy. So, you take your cod, roll your fish in the flour, roll it in the eggs, roll it in the breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs bath. Very simple. It's going to be delicious. And I'm going to be cooking these in the oven in a, in a cast iron skillet. There's no reason to use a cast iron skillet. I just really like them. I just like it. And I oiled it just a little bit with olive oil. A nice, nice bread coating on those things. And you can pan fry these just as well. But we're going to do it in the oven. All right. And in the pan, this should be pretty evenly spread out. It shouldn't be touching each other. And when your oven's heated at 400 degrees, just slide them in the oven. All right. And you want to cook that probably about... 15 to 20 minutes. Could be less if it's really thin, but you test it after about 10 minutes. If it's flaky, it's done. 
Okay, so that's the timer on our cot. It's been there 10 minutes. Now, at this point, you can just check it if you want, or you can you can turn it over and, you know, get a little sear on both sides. I'm going to turn it over because I like it that way. There's no real need to do that, but that's what I like. And this is where it comes to personal preference. When you're cooking, the more you do it, the more you can experiment and mess around with stuff and just do what you like. Uh, so you hear it coming out of the oven. It smells terrific. Alright, so it's all turned over now. This is a much thicker piece of cod than I than I thought, and I'm actually going to put it in the oven for another eight minutes, and then we're going to check it again. Alright, now we wait. Alright, my timer just went off, so we're going to pull this cut out of the oven and take a look at it. Sounds great. If you have multiple thicknesses of cod, some really, really big ones, really, really thin ones, you want to check the thick ones to see if they're done. That'll be your best measure. And just put a fork in it and twist the fork. And if it breaks, if it breaks apart easy, it's done. And that is definitely, that is definitely done. Dinner is ready. Okay, that's been the very special cooking edition of the Fish Nerds Podcast. Hope you liked it. You can find this recipe as well as photos at fishnerds.com. Just click on the kitchen section and you will find everything you need to make this cod dish. So thank you for listening. And next time, hopefully, Hugo will be back to uh, do this. So like I said, I sent this piece to Hugo. He was less than impressed. It's a very simple dish, although delicious, by the way. He came back with a really great cod recipe. And you can check out this recipe at fishnerds.com. So here's cooking cod with Hugo. Greetings, Fish Nerd community. Hugo Medeiros, fishing correspondent, coming to you from fishnerds.com. Tonight we got a really cool uh, seafood fish recipe that I love. Um, it's real simple, uh, Asian recipe, Filipino ac uh, recipe actually. That uh, it's real simple, but I don't know. All these ingredients come together, and I just I love the flavor of this. So I'm lucky actually to have couple nice, big, beautiful fillets of uh, Atlanta cod here, our local cod that a friend of mine caught himself and uh, was nice enough to uh, provide for us. So what we are doing here is we got a nice deep, uh, basically like a soup pan, and we have cut up the uh, beautiful fillets into uh, good-sized chunks, and then along with that we have some a uh, good two-inch piece of ginger that we peeled and sliced thin. 
some uh, julienned uh, onions, and a nice uh, jalapeno pepper, chili pepper, but folks can use whatever, uh, you know, chili pepper you're comfortable with if uh, you like less heat or more heat. Uh, Jalapeno's got a good kick to it. Uh, The long green hot peppers are a little bit milder. So we have the salt in the pan. We drizzle a little bit of olive oil on top of it. And, of course, season it with salt. And uh, I prefer white pepper uh, over black pepper, but that's personal preference. Uh, Also, what what I'll do here is put about maybe just under a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of uh, brown sugar. And then uh, we're going to put some uh, coconut milk in here. One can, I think they're like 12-ounce cans of uh, coconut milk. And then we're just going to slowly simmer this. And this smells phenomenal already. Just all these uh, fresh vegetables and that beautiful fresh fish. The fish, we know it's fresh. It has um, no smell whatsoever. So this is going to be wonderful. Okay, so now we have our pan here on medium heat cooking away. Actually, um, we don't put in the coconut milk first. Just going to put in a little bit of vinegar and let it kind of um, just poach a little bit in the vinegar. The vinegar is maybe, oh, about half an inch deep in the pot, not that much. We're just going to let it um, get some flavor, kind of poach in this vinegar for a couple minutes before we introduce the uh, coconut milk. Smelling phenomenal already. Okay, so now we've had everything simmering in the uh, coconut milk for um, about 10 minutes. Don't want to overdo it. Don't want to overhook the fish so it falls apart. Um, Well, actually, I think uh, for most people, probably should use a long, hot green pepper instead of a uh, sliced up uh, jalapeno. The verdict is that it's uh, a little bit too spicy, <laughs> which uh, I love anyways, but um, not most people uh, seem to as much. So what happens if that happens is you could actually add a little bit more sugar if you can't handle it. But what I'm going to do right now, too, is uh, I, I like uh, fresh green garnishes on all my dishes just about. So I got some uh, beautiful scallions, some fresh cilantro, and some, well, I I like the heat. So I got uh, three Thai chilies from a friend's garden. And, uh, yep, we're just going to slice these up, make a nice, beautiful garnish so you have that nice, fresh, vibrant flavor. And we'll garnish that up, and uh, we're going to taste this in a second and see how it comes out. Okay, so we have plated our beautiful masterpiece here of uh, codfish ginataang. That's G-I-N-A-T-A-A-N-G. Wonderful recipe with coconut milk and vinegar and a little bit of sugar and some hot peppers. And we are going to dig in and try this. It looks phenomenal. You guys will see the pictures I posted online. Little rice. Got some scallions and chili peppers on top for garnish. It's phenomenal. I love this one. I hope you guys all try it. It's just a nice, nice blend of spicy and creamy and that fresh fish and the rice. <coughs> that Thai chili is a little spicy and it is delicious. Hugo Maderos from the Fishnerds.com. 
Thanks, everyone. Bon appétit. Boy, that does sound that does sound good. He then doubles down. Hugo visited the Westboro Farmers Market. You can go to eatfresh01581.com and check that out. And he bumped into Hannah from Farmstead Goat Cheese. Now, what does goat cheese have to do with fishing? Who cares? Hugo did a great job. Hello, fellow fish nerds. Hugo Moderos here, reporting live from the Westboro Farmer's Market on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And here with me, I have Hannah, who is representing the Farmstead Goat Cheese out of Sterling, Massachusetts. The funny thing, well, representing the fish nerds, and I got the fish nerds hat, we got talking about fishing. And it turns out uh, Hannah here is friends with one of our uh, fellow fish nerds, Nick and John DeVicentes, who run the Wachusett Reservoir Addicts Facebook group. Hannah, so it's funny, conversation with me usually turns around to fish or fishing. Great to finally meet you in person. You as well, Hugo. Yep, so you're an angler as well. In my spare time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen pictures of you catching fish up at the Wachusett Reservoir in Massachusetts. Certainly, yes. <laughs> Very good. And now we're here uh, selling goat cheese. That's what I do most of my time. Oh, okay. That's your full-time job. It is, yep. Oh, that's awesome. See, I do computer stuff when I'm not fishing and it's boring as yeah. heck. So that sounds great. It is. It's my, It's <laughs> lots of fun. <laughs> now, have you guys been up to the Wachusett at all? I know it's midsummer. It's tough fishing up there. I haven't been there in over a month, but I haven't had any, much luck this summer. Yeah, I used to live five minutes away, and I'd fish there five, six days a week. But now I'm out uh, further west in the sticks. Still do fishing, but I miss the Wachusett Reservoir. Certainly. <laughs> Small world. We always find anglers everywhere. Out from... Westboro, Massachusetts. Thank you, fish nerds. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. Bye. You go then ran into Spencer from Red's Best Seafood and filed this interview. Boy, this makes me want to go to a farmer's market. You can find information on Red's Best at redsbest.com. Here we are at Red's Best Seafood stand where we have some amazing uh, local fresh seafood best you can get. Here with me, uh, working the booth, manning the booth, is Spencer. Spencer, how you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. All yeah. right, great to see you. So tell us, yeah. Red's Best, I know they're local. I uh, met you guys down at uh, Haymarket Square in Boston. Yeah. So tell us about Red's Best. So Red's Best um, is an organization, that a company that works with a lot of the, um, works very directly with fishermen. So, you know, when you go in there, they're always talking to boats and trying to find source things from around Massachusetts. Um, they work very locally, um, and a big part of what they're doing is trying to do the sort of get the whole life cycle of the product, yeah. um, and give have that story be available to the consumers. So, exactly. Yeah. That's what I remember when I first met you guys down in Boston. Was that uh, yeah, you could tell exactly. You can find out who the fisherman was that yep. caught it, or yeah. the boat, or the fleet, or whatever. Yeah. So if you go through one of these cards, you can see that there's. Um, Fisherman's names on there, the origin of the boat, name of the vessel, and the actually the gear that was used. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's oh, pretty specific. Awesome. And if you look at this, you can get more detailed information yeah, about that, it as well. Uh, yeah, that RX code or whatever Yeah, QR. Yep. QR code. Yeah. QR code. That's yeah. right. So here we're looking at some flounder. Yeah, some flounder Real right there. flounder. Fisherman is Phil. 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 Yep. Yep. Phil out of, out of Gloucester. Okay, yep. I was just up by there. Yeah. Where they filmed the uh, world-famous movie because we have people from all over the place. Exactly, yeah. Australia listening to us. Yeah. What was the uh, Perfect Storm? Perfect Storm, yeah. Yeah, I almost stayed at the crow's nest the other day. I was fishing oh, yeah. on the North Shore looking for a place to That's crash. A, spot, yeah. a local told me it's a little bit rough on the second floor to crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm from the North Shore of Boston myself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whereabouts? Uh, Newburyport. Okay, yep. cool. I worked down in um, Ipswich for a few boat builders and worked at Lowell's Boat Shop for a little while. Awesome. So, yeah. I've been up to Newburyport, Plum Island. Yep, Plum Island. Fishing for stripers up there. Yeah. Nice. Now, are you a fisherman yourself? I don't fish too much. I work on boats. Um, you know, mostly doing some restoration of wooden boats and stuff like that. So oh, I work for right. a shoe shop. I try to get out fishing as much as I can, but yeah. you know, it's always tricky. So. Yeah, I can't make a living out of it. Well, some people can, some but people it's can. these guys do. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a tough way of making a living, so it's, you know good to support him. Yep, that's yeah. why I understand. Uh, well, and let's see what we got here. We got, we saw the flounder, scallops. Now, I learned not too long ago the difference between, you know, regular scallops and what we call the dry scallops. Dry scallops, yep. So, what is it? I understand they haven't been treated with something. Exactly. So, most um, scallops you get in the store, whether or not they're ocean or bay, they actually inject them yep. with um, water and a preservative. And that does two things. It increases their shelf life, um, but it also increases their weight. That's one thing oh, is a yeah. lot of people when they are really surprised actually when they look at one of the pound packages of how many are in there. Yeah. Because these are lighter and there's more actual meat and flavor in there. Yeah. And uh, so. being being the fish nerd's cooking correspondent, I love yep. to cook. Yep. And I learned how to cook these properly. So only the dry scallops can you properly sear to get that beautiful golden exactly, color. Exactly. Yeah. Because you don't want to. You never want to overcook scallops. You know, nope. that's the easiest way to mess it I up. do it. I take a dry pan, yeah. get it as hot as possible. Yeah, beautiful scallops that we're looking yeah. at right Oh, those are gorgeous. Yep. So that's a one-pound package? It's a one-pound package. Yep. So for the markets, everything's pre-packaged at the, you know, at, at the pier. Yep. And I pick it up in the morning. Yeah. And the difference between, you know, fresh seafood and uh, stuff I find in supermarkets... My wife here, who's the uh, videographer currently right now filming us... Um, never liked the scallops I bought before, you know, years ago. Yeah. And then I started buying dry scallops, the good ones. Yeah. Searing them, she loves them now. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. She was kind of smart. I was eating the bad ones before, <laughs> the good ones we like. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got some uh, tuna here. Yep. Yeah, so the tuna. Um, this is big eye. Big eye tuna. Yep. Where do we catch that? I, I'm not. I'm supposed to drop the product. This is um, Falmouth. Oh, out of Falmouth, yep. okay. So they got to go, I've, that's got to be deep sea, because I've never yeah. fished for them. Yeah, so you go all real. far. Yeah. Um, so the tuna, yeah, again, I always just go with whatever they basically recommend there yep. for the species that's in. Yeah, whatever's fresh is whatever absolutely. Landed, landed first. So we've had um, bluefin, yellowfin, and the last couple of weeks we've had big eye. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it kills me. I haven't brought home a keeper striper yet. I've caught in small yeah. ones this year on my kayak all over mm -hmm. uh, the New England oh, nice. coast. Yeah. But uh, I've stopped at local uh, seafood markets along the coast and bought striper, which is painful yeah. to see it at 20 plus dollars a pound when I'm supposed to be catching them. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah all right. down the line. Good stuff. Excellent. All right, very yeah. good. Thank you so much, Spencer. Excellent. Yeah, real pleasure.
as you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This month, the Fish Nerds were asked to help raise money for the National Breast Cancer Foundation and partner with a bunch of organizations to make it extra valuable to make a donation. So, if you donate through the Fish Nerds at fishnerds.com, you will be entered to win fantastic prizes. We have sweatshirts from maintoinefishing.com, Dexter Knives, Line Cutters Rings, a guided ice fishing trip with me, a guided river trip with Twin Maple Outdoors in Maine, pink fishing swag, Finn's fishing line, Karen Talbot Art uh, even gave us four anglers pint glasses. Go to fishners.com to make your donation. Just click on the, uh, on the pink banner and you will be all set. Now, we have a lot of fish nerd friends who are impacted by all kinds of different cancers. We, we've chosen to support breast cancer this month because the timing worked out well for us. Lindsay Withers from Maine came on early this month uh, from MainTunaFishing.com. She had breast cancer when she was 27 years old. That's why we kind of focus on that. Super friend of the fish nerds, Ryan Dubay, suffered from leukemia. Hugo bumped into him this summer in Massachusetts. Uh, as he was doing some fundraising for leukemia research, and he was filed this interview with us. We think you're going to write like Ryan as much as we do. Here's Ryan. Hey, Fish Nerds, this is Hugo Medeiros, cooking correspondent for the Fish Nerds Group, reporting live here from uh, Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Today we are here with uh, Ryan Dubay. Ryan, um runs a cooking group on Facebook, Outdoor Culinary Connection, along with me. You guys can search for that on uh, Facebook and you'll find it. Ryan also manages a really great uh, kayak group called the Yak Patrol Cape Cod. Uh, Ryan, tell us about this uh, kayak group. Um, the kayak group, it's more of a kayak club. It is based on Facebook. We have a webpage, yakpatrolcc.com. Uh, we've got about 300 members and we're just a bunch of kayakers who get together, have a good time, kayak around, talk kayak fishing on the internet and on the webpage. There's a lot of tips. There's a coming blog on the, um, on the website. And we also do a lot of tournaments. Um, the main tournament we do every year is now a fundraising tournament called uh, the Kayak Clash. And we do it for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Um, I am a leukemia survivor. Um, I had what was called AML. I was diagnosed at 28 years old, which was seven years ago. Um, it is a fast-moving leukemia that typically is contracted by very young children or very old folks. Me getting it 28 was extremely rare. Um, but they were able to use me as a guinea pig for a lot of different things. When I So I went through the cancer treatment once and was in remission for two years. It basically consisted of seven rounds of chemotherapy. And then unfortunately I relapsed and the answer was, was to have a stem cell transplant. Doing that, getting that stem cell transplant was from an unrelated donor from the BeTheMatch.com folks. Uh, if you go to their website, you can... Donate bone marrow and stem cells to help save a life from somebody like me. But so anyhow, I was at Dana-Farber. And they're one of the most amazing cancer hospitals on the planet. 
and they specialize there a lot with children and blood cancer in the Jimmy Fund. Um, most people have heard of the Jimmy Fund, especially around New England. It's the Red Sox charity. But I was just extremely touched going through what I was going through in a stem cell transplant, which was one of the hardest things, if probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And seeing the young kids that were also there, that were six and eight years old, that that were going through the same thing. And we've had leaps and bounds with with leukemia, but my particular type of leukemia, AML, is still really, even for kids, only about a 50-50 odds for survival. Mine were actually less when I was first diagnosed. So me going through this, and now I'm at about five years out, and uh, knock on wood here, uh, they basically consider me cured. But there are a ton of people still fighting, and we are really getting close to a cure with different types of new treatments and that sort of stuff where people will not have to go through what I go through, but we're still at that 50-50 odds. So I wanted to do something to give back to Dana-Farber for what they did for me. Yeah, I think that's what amazing too, because, you know, we see all these charities and uh, I wonder, and I think a lot of people do, you know, where's the money going to? Is this is this research actually progressing? So to see that they are, and you're a living example, that they are making advances and they uh, the research is getting good results and it's helping save lives. So that's awesome. So you raised uh, you raised quite a bit of money there from the uh, from the me- uh, membership people joining to uh, participate in that clash. So that's great. Yeah, we. Um we, we actually, we, this is our first charity clash at a new location, which was in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, um, at a place called West Island. I changed the location this year because the parking lot is just massive and we can grow, but I cut a deal with Fairhaven that for the first year we'd have 30 people, and so we had 30 people sign up in probably the course of a week, and it was at $50 a head and through donations from all our sponsors we were able to donate every penny so 30 people times 50 1500 bucks to dana farber and everything was taken care of by uh either myself or sponsors and so every penny got donated and so yeah it was really good and next year i think we got the okay to go up to like 100 people so awesome much bigger donation and We'll, we'll up the price a little bit on entry because it turns out we were the cheapest uh, tournament this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, t- I took part of that too, and uh, that was a great time. Great group of people. Uh, I just started uh, getting into uh, kayak fishing about a year ago, learning a lot from the group and from Ryan. And uh, just a great group of people, a lot of experienced folks out there, a lot that are like me, just learning, getting out on the ocean, learning how to fish from a kayak. So that was a blast. Now, we didn't have a... Um, sea robin category or a trash fish people call them category but i would have won that one well <laughs> it, had one. It, it was hilarious i it was an extremely foggy day the day of the tournament um and uh, we had three categories which was striped bass which was won by a member dave nuttle who got a 22 pound striper only keeper striper caught of the day the guys he's a sharpie to say oh, the yeah. least uh we had a black sea bass category and we had a bluefish category. The rest of the categories were filled out. But I had not had anyone 
Brit weigh in a black sea bass until the very end of the tournament. And I see Hugo coming in out of the fog. <laughs> and I'm worried no one's going to catch a black sea bass. And he has this giant stringer. And he's in the fog, and there's got to be 10 fish on there. And, or, you know, eight fish. And I'm like, wow, well, there's got to be only like seven or eight, whatever the limit is. But, wow, he cleaned up on sea bass. Good job, Hugo. <laughs> and then I get a little closer, and I remember that I'm talking to Hugo Madeiras. And it is filled with sea robins, which is... It looks like a dinosaur-type fish that no one in their right mind actually eats, but it turns out if you listen to people like Hugo, they taste wonderful. <laughs> I don't think anybody's seen a stringer full of uh, sea robins like that before. That was funny. No, the, all the photos are, are up on the, the Yak Patrol uh, Cape Cod Facebook page, and we'll have them on the website pretty soon. But yeah, it's he's got. I think we actually we posted it on the Fish Nerds page. I think we did. That's great. Yeah, yeah. guys, so check out, uh, on Facebook, look for Yak Patrol Cape Cod, and um, yeah, welcome to join us. Um, now, let's see, you had um, several sponsors there, too. I know um, we were going to talk about some of the uh, safety tips there on kayaks. Uh, MTI is one of the sponsors, and they have these uh, PFDs, personal flotation devices or life vests. Um, they have a great selection of uh, life vests of all sorts geared towards fishing. All price ranges. They're really nice. Um, but oh, you, yeah. Um, we, actually, we, we, we actually didn't have one of our sponsors show up that uh, Phil Belcher Jr. Was, was taking part in the tournament. But unfortunately, the reason why we wanted to touch on life jackets is the day before the tournament, we had a local kayak fisherman who was not part of the club but friends with a few po uh, folks in the club actually pass away because he mm. did not have a life jacket on the kayak. Um, here in Massachusetts, between September 15th and May 15th, you are required to wear a life jacket at all times. But after May 15th, you can, you can have the life jacket just somewhere on your boat. Um, and, uh, um, you know, life jackets, a lot of people think they can be big and bulky and they don't want to fish with them, especially on a kayak. Um, so unfortunately this person didn't have a life jacket on and probably a big reason why he passed away. Um, with all of our tournaments or anything involved with the act patrol, um, we actually do require you to be wearing a life jacket. I'm going to say, if you're going to be in our tournament, you could have the life jacket on. Um, and the reason why I wanted to point out specifically MTI is not because they were a sponsor, but more so they've got something that nobody else has for kayak fishermen. And that is they make a inflatable life jacket. Now, a lot of folks don't like to wear an inflatable life jacket when kayak fishing, because in the event that they do get the jacket wet or they fall overboard in a sit on top kayak, you can just hop right on top. Unfortunately, with an inflatable, they all auto-inflate, and now your day is done fishing because you have a beach ball around your head. <laughs> but this company, MTI, is the only company they make an inflatable that does not auto-inflate. You can just simply pull the cord. Now, they, I mean, in theory, there could be some issues with that if you bump your head or something. Mm. But really, this makes an incredible option for kayak fishermen. Because of the fact that when you're wearing it, it's not in the way like an inflatable, but you're not scared that if you fall off or get it wet, that you're not going to, that you're not going to, it's going to end your fishing day. This, you can fall off and say, oh, I fell off and swim back aboard your boat and be fine. It's not going to go off. And then 10 minutes later, if you happen to get in trouble, you can pull that rip cord 
and you'll have a great life jacket. Um, also, it's the only life jacket that also, if you are not going to wear the life jacket, but it's going to be in your boat, the traditional inflatables, because they auto-inflate, will not count as having a life jacket on board. This one, because it doesn't auto-inflate, and you can put it on after you fall in the water, um, does count as a life jacket, even if it's not on your person. But again, I recommend everybody in a kayak should have a life jacket on. Yeah, and I think that's great to see. I mean, a lot of people probably did the same, like growing up in Central Mass. We grew up going to lakes on houseboats and uh, jet skis on uh, on boats and things like that. And, you know, as teenagers, we never wore life jackets. We knew they were on board. But, yeah, now kayak fishing, I wear mine every day, summer or not. And it's uh, great to see some of these uh, real pro fishermen that are out there. They wear their, their life jackets, their PFDs all the time. So I think it sets a good example. And it's it's just, uh, yeah, the smart thing to do. Yep. And I use a, uh, a, a traditional life jacket from MTI, but they've got a hundred, um, li- they've got a life jacket that's got all the pockets you ever need. And I was just, Hugo and I are going out fishing tonight. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was just filling the pockets up with hooks and leaders and everything else so that tonight we fish. We're, we're fishing from 9, 10 o'clock at night tonight until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning for hopefully some gigantic striped bass. Mm-hmm. I'm with Hugo, so more than likely it'll end up as sea robins, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, see how we, we'll see how we do. It should be uh, uh, pretty good. We're, we're, um, this is actually a trip that I'm trying to get Clay to come out on as well. He has said that maybe later on in the year he'll come out. I'm hoping to get him in... A little fancier digs than Hugo's got me in right now. <laughs> Hugo was supposed Weird. to leave me at my house, but um, my kids are sick. So, Clay, I promise I won't put you here. But, Hugo, why don't you tell about your digs that we're staying in? Yep, so I'm <laughs> staying uh, down the road from uh, Ryan's uh, infamous uh, Moby Dick Hotel here in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. It's just a... Uh, very, very colorful place, uh, let's say. I don't think anybody's been uh, shot here in at least two weeks, I there, think. There's a sign on the door that says, as seen on TV, that's cops. They've been seen on cops. <laughs> they don't even need to advertise. Yep, I think I stayed there one time last uh, year when I came down for fishing. And when I entered the room and looked back, the door frame around the door on the inside was laying on the ground. So they had had a bust, a raid there the previous night, and then bothered to put the walls back together. <laughs> so always interesting. Absolutely. But yeah, we're absolutely pumped. We're going to sign off. We're uh, getting ready to go to do some uh, fishing for striped bass at night with eels here in Southern Mass. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Ryan. All right. Bye-bye. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing, and you definitely should have been fishing. If you would like to support the fish nerds, go to fishnerds.com and click the Patreon link and help us crowdfund this show. We really need your support. Big fat thanks to Hugo for doing the heavy lifting in this episode. To follow his adventures, look for the Outdoor Culinary Group on Facebook, and you'll find a link, of course, on our website at fishnerds.com. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often, avoid free lunches with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Next time we'll have a co-host on here, and uh, if you want a co-host, check in with us. Hit clay at fishnerds.com and say, hey, Clay, can I co-host? And I'll have you on the show. Thanks.